You know, it's, it, it really is an honor to have the opportunity to minister to this body in the absence of Pastor Burt. Because this is a great body of people, a great body of believers. And when you speak to people like we have here, and you know that they hear, you know that they apply what they hear, it's awesome. It's just awesome. So thanks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Excuse me. Thanks for the honor of letting me do this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it's an honor, but it's also a little intimidating to come to speak to this body after we've had such great ministers to minister the word to us. So I'm always a little nervous. And you all may think, well, it's no big deal. Why are you nervous? We well, all get up here and do this. I bet you'd be nervous too. So, in order to kind of help me to relax and hopefully uh, bring a little humor, I always bring a little joke. And so, you may have heard this joke before, but even if you have, and even if you don't think it's funny, laugh anyway, because it makes me feel better. <clears throat> there were a group of children that, uh, at a uh, Christian elementary school lined up to go through the, the luncheon line in the cafeteria. And right at the head of the line, there's a big bowl of bright red juicy apples. Really looked wonderfully good. And there's a sign there that said, take only one. God is watching. So as they proceeded down through the line, all the way at the end of the line, there's this big bowl of chocolate chip cookies. And some enterprising young person had made a handwritten sign that said, take all you want. God's watching the apples. Well, I have to tell this one, too. I mean, this, I was only going to do one, but I had to, and I, I just have to do this one, too, because we have such awesome women in this church, and they do so much and uh, provide so much uh, support for this ministry that I have to tell this joke about women. <clears throat> do you know what would have happened if it had been three wise women instead of three wise men at the birth of Jesus? Well... First of all, they would have asked directions. <laughs> Secondly, they would have arrived on time. Thirdly, they would have helped deliver the baby. <laughs> and then they would have cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought disposable diapers for gifts. <laughs> it is true. It is true. Our ladies here do so many things so well that we really honored it. We thank you so much. <clears throat> well, that, that last song that we sang about no height, no depth, nothing can separate us from the will of God, from the love of God, <clears throat> really goes right along with my message because my message is faith works through love. And I have to say that Love in our society means so many different things to so many different people. But God's love is the same every day, every hour, every minute, and it never fails. And the faith that he calls us to works through love. Galatians 5, 6 
says, well, when I get the right page, says, For in Christ Jesus neither, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So, what that's saying is that no matter what else you do, either circumcised or uncircumcised, if you're, if you're real diligent to do everything that you're called to do in the Word, or if you don't, none of that avails anything except faith in God working through love. So, faith means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit. First of all, I want to give you a, a, a Merriam-Webster dictionary definition. And it says that faith is a confident belief in a truth, value, or trustworthiness of a person, idea, or thing. Second, it's a belief that does not rest on logical proof. Third, it's loyalty to a person or thing. Now, sometimes I hear people say things like, you know, uh, I don't have faith, I need for God to give me faith. Or I need to get that kind of faith. Well, the Word says in Romans twelve three that God has given every believer a measure of faith. Amen. Every believer has a measure of faith. So you might think, well, why does some people's faith work better than other people's faith? And we're going to talk about that. God gives us the measure, but it's up to us what we do with it after we receive that measure. So, there is experiential faith, which is faith that you've learned to have in something or something because of your experience. If I came over and sat down in that chair next to Veronica, I would have faith in that chair to hold me up. And the reason I'd have that faith is because countless times I've sat in chairs and they've held me up, and I've seen other people sit in chairs and it holds them up. So I'd have faith in that chair to hold me up. That's experiential faith. Now I'm going to tell you a little story about me that has to do with experiential faith. Many years ago in the olden days, when I was much, much younger, I used to travel a lot in my, in my work. And so this one particular time, I think it was about 1986 or somewhere around there, maybe 87, I was flying from Roswell, New Mexico to Dallas-Fort Worth. And anybody here ever heard of Mesa Airlines? A couple of people actually have. Well, I was flying on a little twin-engine airplane from, with Mesa Airlines from Roswell to DFW, and this airplane seated eight people besides the pilot and co-pilot. In the center, there was one seat on either side and, and four rows. And the aisle between the seats was about this wide. And there was a... There was a little lady, I wouldn't say she was old, but she was probably in her 60s or, or so, that was sitting right across the aisle from me. And I was, we were sitting in the first row, and there was no 
bulkhead between us and the pilots. And there were these two young pilots. They looked like teenagers to me that were flying the airplane. And we got caught in a storm. And I've, I've done lots and lots of flying in my days, and I've flown through a lot of storms, but I've never flown through one, through one like this. And as I said, this is a little bitty airplane. And I could see the altimeter. And there would be times when that altimeter would go from 25,000 feet to 15,000 feet and then back up in a matter of seconds. And we were this way and this way and almost upside down several times. And these two young pilots... They were just as calm and were joking about everything and, you know, it wasn't bothering them a bit. But this little lady that was sitting across the aisle from me almost jerked my arm off. And she grabbed my arm and I thought she was going to pull me right out of the seat. Good thing I had a seat belt on. And the point of this story that I'm telling, and by the way, we got there safe and sound. We got through the storm just about 10 minutes before we got to the FW, landed with nothing in the co-pilot and the pilot were just fine. They did a great job. The point of this story is that because of all the flying that I'd done in the past and I'd flown through things like that before, not quite that bad, but similar, I had faith in the airplane, first of all, and I had faith in the pilot. This lady that was sitting across from the aisle from me, across the aisle from me, had only flown one time before in her life. And she had no faith in the airplane or the pilots. The only faith that she had was in my arm, which she had just about jerked off. So that's experiential faith. You learn to trust things by being through things with that. Okay? That's how you learn to trust. That's how you learn faith. Trust in something or someone comes through intimacy. You know, the title of the message is Faith Works Through Love. Well, I can tell you love comes through intimacy. Faith is a tool. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works also is dead. For faith to have value, we have to do something with it. We have to do something with it. It's like a muscle. The more you work your muscle, the stronger it gets. Well, faith is the same way. Works naturally follow from faith and not vice versa. Works don't produce faith, but faith produces works. There's a big difference. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For faith, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And it's important for us to understand that the same faith that we use to gain salvation, the same faith that we use to believe in the Word and in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our righteousness through that, 
is the same faith that produces all the works that we do afterwards. To believe for anything else is the same faith that you use for salvation. Faith connects me to God's ability. Now, let's think about that just a minute. Faith connects me, you, all of us, to God's ability. You can't have faith in God doing something for you in your life without faith in God. I must believe that he loves me enough to do what he says he will do. As I said, faith comes through intimacy. And I'm, I'm going to speak from a little experience here. My wife Sarah and I have been married for 53 years. Yay is right. <laughs> Yay is right. 53 plus. Actually, it's 53 years in August. And we've been through a lot of stuff. Good stuff, bad stuff, happy stuff, sad stuff. We've been through all the stuff there is for stuff to be. And Sarah has been faithful through all the stuff. All of it. And over the years of the things that we've been through together and the things that we've done together, we have developed, some people call it love, some people call it intimacy, but it's two sides of the same coin. It's the same. And I know beyond any doubt that Sarah will do what she says she's going to do. And that Sarah will be for me what she's been for me for 53 years and will be for as long as I draw breath. That's intimacy. intimacy. That's love. And that's a reflection of the God kind of love. You know, I'm not saying that Sarah has the same love that God has, but it's a reflection. And I know beyond any doubt that I can trust whatever she says and whatever she does. So, that's a minor example of what God's love for us is and how faith is developed for us. I'm going to give you a list of seven things that you need to know to experience God kind of faith. And you can only know these things by being saved and having a relationship with the Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's the only way you can know these things. I mean... You can, you can read the words or hear the words, but you still don't know them. You still don't know the principles that are behind them. There's only one way. Just like there's only one way to salvation. You hear all kinds of different religions say that they have the way and all that kind of thing, but our Bible says that there's only one way. You only come to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. So these things you need to know. One, you need to know the integrity of God's Word. Hebrews 4.12. Excuse me. Pardon me, my nose is leaking a little. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
You have to believe that God's Word is this. You have to, even beyond believing it, you have to know it. You know, I can, I can believe something, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. But if I know it, I've proven it to myself. I've, I know that it's absolutely true. So it's beyond belief. Number two. We have to know the reality of our redemption in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. We have to know that once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we are redeemed. Y'all know what redeemed means? How many here know about S&H green stamps? A few, mostly us older folks. Well, in the olden days, there was a there was a program at the grocery stores and other stores too, but primarily grocery stores, where when you made a purchase, you got S&H green stamps. And however much you spent, there was a formula that they used to see how many stamps they gave you. And they gave you a little book where you posted, pasted these stamps in this little book. <clears throat> and when you got enough stamps in enough books, you went to a place that's called a redemption center which is basically a store where they had toasters and mixers and, you know, all kinds of stuff in there. And you didn't spend money there. You spent S&H green stamps. You redeemed those articles with S&H green stamps. Well, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And until you, until you know that as a Christian, that you've been redeemed, until you know you've been redeemed, you will never have the God kind of faith. You'll never have it. Number three. Know the reality of the new creation. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have to know and understand that when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were reborn. And, you know, the term new birth is kind of bandied around a little bit more than my taste prefers. But it is what happens. You are born again, not in your body, not in your soul, but in your spirit. We are spirit beings. The heart of us is the spirit. Our spirit has a soul and lives in our body. And until you come to the realization that when you're born again, you are recreated brand new. Your sins are washed away. Like the song, the last song that the praise and worship team did. I love that song. I just love that song. No height, no depth can separate us from the love of God. None, once we're born again. Number four, 
we have to know that we are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, which happens to be a life verse for me, says, For he made him, Jesus, for he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I have to tell you that for most of my born-again life, until about, oh, I don't really know how long ago it was, uh, I was given the task of teaching a class on righteousness. And I received a whole new revelation about what righteousness not only is, but how it affects us in every area of our Christian life. And so this has become, excuse me, this has become a life verse for me. I probably say this at least once every day, this verse. What you have to understand that no matter what happened before you were saved, and no matter what happened after you were saved, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus the moment you receive Him as your Savior. And nothing you can say, nothing you can do, can take that away from you. It's sealed in stone. I mean, there's no alternative to that. But there's only one way to have it. And that's through your relationship, receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Number four. We have to recognize the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And when I say recognize, you can know that you have that. But until you recognize what it is, what he is, and the power that comes through him. And, you know, I am so dependent on the Holy Spirit for everything that I do that I can't even imagine going through one day without dependence on the Holy Spirit and Him directing me and comforting me, He, if we'll allow Him. He's a gentleman. He doesn't force His way into your life. But if you'll allow Him to lead you and guide you, He will protect you from mistakes that you can't even imagine. Mistakes that you don't even know that are out there. But you have to recognize who He is and that He indwells your spirit. The Holy Spirit and your spirit are one. 1 John 4, 4 says, you, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because He who is in the world, He who, who is in you, is greater than He that is in the world. You know, we all come under attack from the world and Satan and circumstances and all that kind of thing. But if we will learn to depend on the Holy Spirit, He will protect us from all those things. He will protect us from things we don't even know we're going to have. You know, one time, this is a long time ago, again... <laughs> Well, you know, when you're 79 years old, you've got a lot of history. So you have a lot of stories. So one time, uh, 
we were living in Wichita, and Sarah's parents were living in Garnett, Kansas, and we uh, had a, a baby, a little boy, his name is Michael, he's now 50, almost 51 years old, but he was a baby then, and we were, we were driving on Highway 54, which goes where we were going, and it's a two, it's a, it was a two-lane highway, I think it still is, is it? Is 54 still a two-lane highway, Pop? Yeah, it is. So anyway, and it's hilly. And in those days, they didn't have car seats. They didn't have seat belts. They didn't have any of that stuff that we use today. And Sarah was sitting over there, and I was sitting over here, and I was driving. And it was pitch black. There was no moon. There was no nothing. It was really dark. And so I started to pass this 18-wheeler. And I hadn't seen anything coming. I didn't see any signs of anything. I didn't see ref lights reflected or anything. And up from a valley over the hill, I got about halfway past this 18-wheeler, and here came a car straight at us. And there was no place to go. There was no place to go. And so I just told Sarah to hang on, and the baby was asleep laying on the back seat. Wasn't that right? You was holding him. Okay. Anyway, I told Sarah, hold on, and we just kind of closed our eyes and went. And nothing happened. I tell you what, the Holy Spirit had to move that car over or that truck over or something because I didn't turn anything. And the Holy Spirit saved our lives that day. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's a good encouragement. Number six. Know that the fellowship with the Father is real. And this is where we start getting into the real intimacy, you know. We're going to talk in a little bit how we gain some of this intimacy, but 1 John 1, 3 says, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus. Now, how does fellowship come, come about? How do you have fellowship? You have fellowship by spending time together and by talking together and having fun together and going through hard times together all that is how you begin to have fellowship with someone else and that's particularly true with God you have to believe that the fellowship that you have with him when you sit down to pray and you pray to the father through the Lord Jesus Christ that's fellowship if you recognize that it is and you're not doing all the talking but you're being quiet sometimes and letting him talk to you because he will. And you develop that fellowship. You have to have that fellowship. Number seven. Oh, I got lots of time. Number seven. Understand the authority that we have in the name of Jesus. You know, a pastor's been preaching about the name. And I hope that you've been here to hear some of those messages because they are just awesome. 
John 14, 13 and 14 says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that's kind of the end thing to all these seven things. That's kind of the last one because in order for the last one to work, you have, have to have developed the other six things. If you don't have fellowship with the Father, you don't have faith in the Father, you don't have trust in Him and all those kinds of things, this last one won't work because you won't have, you won't have an understanding and a knowledge of the authority that we have in His Word. I mean, you can read these words in John 14. You can read these words, but if they're only words to you, if they don't have meaning to you, if they don't have depth to you, if you don't, if you don't exercise those things, that one won't work. It just won't work. So, we develop the God kind of faith by several things. One, spending time in the Word. Spending time in the Word. And it needs to be something that you do every day, at least once. But I recommend that you do it a number of times a day. And if you're not someplace where you can read the Word, say to yourselves the, the Word that you remember. You know, and all of us, even brand new Christians, have some Word that they have to have, to have heard in order to have become saved. Just speak those things over yourselves. Anything that's from the Word, that's God's Word. Number two, by sitting under the teaching of the Word on a consistent basis. Some people who are Christians like to come to church and sit under the Word at their convenience. Now, I, I'm done preaching now. I'm starting to meddle now. So, Y'all just have to receive this meddling. If you want to become a strong Christian, if you want to develop the God kind of faith, if you want to have fellowship with the Lord, there is no substitute for sitting consistently under the teaching of the Word. And we're blessed in this body. We've got a great pastor here who spends so much time in the Word and is so led by the Holy Spirit that when he comes and ministers here, those are the oracles of God that he's bringing to us. And we need to be there on a consistent basis, be here on a consistent basis to hear that Word and let it soak into us. You know, we don't, we don't develop an understanding of the Word and of God and all that by hearing a thing one time and then never hearing it again. You won't remember it, even if you write it down and make a note of it. You know, you'll forget to read the note or whatever. You have to hear the Word over and over and over and over and over. You know, when a, when a, when a company wants to sell you something, they don't put a commercial on TV one time and then they never do it again, do they? Why is that? 
because that doesn't work. They repeat it over and over and over and over until they brainwash you into receiving what they want to say about their, their product. Well, this isn't somebody trying to sell you something. It's somebody trying to teach you something and to make something available to you. And you have to be consistent about attending church and sitting under the Word. Okay, done meddling. Number three. Praying in the Spirit. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And if you're born again, you may not have received your prayer language yet, but if you haven't, it's because you haven't been exposed to it enough to understand how it works and how to develop it. Another reason for being consistent and sitting under the Word. But praying in the Spirit does things for you that praying in English just doesn't do because a lot of times when we're praying in English uh, we're saying some words but our minds are someplace else Is that ever, am I the only one that ever happens to your minds are somewhere else when you pray in the spirit you're turning your mind off and it's your spirit praying and it's your spirit meditating with the Holy Spirit who will then talk back to you so that's number three. Number four, by meditating on the Word. Now meditating, you know, the, one, of the, one of the definitions of meditating is like when a cow chews its cud. Any farmers or ranchers here? Anybody know about cows chewing their cud? Not many hands. Well, a cow has a number of stomachs. And when a cow eats hay, it goes down to one stomach and some juices mixed with it there, and pretty soon it regurgitates that, that hay, and they chew it again. And they swallow it again, it goes to another stomach. And that happens a number of times, and by the time they're through chewing that cud, they've got every bit of nutrient that there is out of that hay. And they benefit from it. Well, meditating the words kind of like that, you know. You read it or hear it and you think about it and you digest it a little bit and then pretty soon you bring it back up again and you think about it some more and meditate about it some more and get some more goody out of it. And then you do it again. That's meditating the word. There's no substitute for it. You just have to have it. In closing, faith, and you can write this down, faith only works by understanding God's love for us and believing in his love enough to do what his word says I can do. You know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If that's the only scripture you know, it's a great one. Because it's the essence of the, the uh, salvation experience. Romans 8, 38-39 says, for I, am not a sh for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And that goes along with that song that they sang right at the end of praise and worship. No height, no depth. No fear, no pain, no... It names a whole bunch of things. None of that can separate you from the love of God. The only thing that can separate you from the love of God is you. There is no other thing. Because God never leaves us. Never forsakes us. A lot of times we leave Him and forsake Him. But He never leaves us and never forsakes us. Amen. 